0: Hey, right on. Good afternoon, everybody, uneducated economist here. So thought I would talk a little bit about the um the Fed uh talk of oh, gee was talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve and the lifting of interest rates. Um something that is not unexpected. I mean the three quarter of a percentage point increase. I don't know if there was anybody out there who ever thought that it was going to be anything other than three quarters of a percentage point. I mean To even think that if it was going to be anything else than that, I mean, just take into consideration because there was a lot of economists out there saying that they need to raise it to 1%. There were some saying that, no, they need to back off and not go as high or whatever. Had the Federal Reserve done anything other than three quarters of a percentage point, they would have freaked the markets out. Already, the markets kind of took the information and didn't really, you know wasn't really happy with it. You saw the Dow drop, you know, 500 points or whatever it was. Um, I'm not sure what it actually closed out at, but, you know, to think about like what it is that the Federal Reserve is doing as opposed to what they are saying, because it was all the information that they were putting out ahead of time, all that job owning, that credible threats, all the forward guidance, all that stuff is really where the markets started to condition themselves for the rate hikes. Now, I'm under the impression, or at least the idea that I have is that the Federal Reserve really would love to get those Fed funds rate up to around 5%. Like if they could hit the 5% mark on the Fed funds rate, they would just think that would be perfect. Because typically during a downturn, the Federal Reserve would want to drop interest rates, that 5% in order to stimulate the economy. But they've had interest rates so low on the Fed funds level that they were not able to drop interest rates enough to stimulate the economy. Now, this is something that we really have to think about is the lag between the time that they lift interest rates to the time that it actually starts to affect the economy. Because there's a a definite lag that takes place in there from six months to a year. So now we think about like, when the Federal Reserve started lifting interest rates, like what was it, like just after the new year, right? The new year is when it started. It takes six months before we start to feel the effects of that interest rates rising. So that means like sometime in the middle of summer, just a few months ago, we just started to feel the effects of the interest rates rising. Now, what we're going to feel is the pain that continues from this for every interest rate rising, it's gonna be six months to a year before we feel the effects of it. So when they lift the interest rates today, we're not gonna feel the effects of this interest rate rising for another six months to a year. So think about this for just a little bit. When the Fed stated we are going to raise interest rates, the markets immediately started to react to that information. Now we have the interest rates actually rising, the impact that it takes is going to be a year or six months to a year down the road. So even if the Federal Reserve was to lift interest rates all the way up to the 5% or whatever it was and then immediately reverse course, you still have a year of impact to the economy that that interest rate will have. You see where I'm kind of getting at? So right now we have the Federal Reserve talking about lifting of interest rates and then wanting to see like be data dependent on what's going to be coming into the future so they're not going to give you that forward guidance anymore they're not going to get the markets to condition themselves for what is going to come like they have have been doing now I am still under the impression that we're probably going to see like three quarters of a percent increases coming to the fed funds level because they want to increase that interest rate that fed funds as fast as possible so that by the time those those increases have impacted the economy they could be in a position to say okay now we can be you know lowering the interest rates again if they took time to do this and they slowly tried to increase the rates they would impact the economy. They would have to reverse course before they ever got the interest rates up to that 5% that they were shooting for. Does that kind of make sense? Like they have to hurry up and do it before it impacts the economy because by the time it impacts the economy, they won't be able to lift interest rates anymore and they would have to reverse course. So that's why they're doing it so dramatically so fast is to try and hurry up and do it before it starts creating the recession in which that they need to reverse course. Now, of course, it isn't gonna be like all the past recessions where, you know, as soon as you have like this downturn, The federal reserve immediately starts stepping in with like you know stimulus programs and stuff or you know stimulated behavior coming from the monetary policy this time around it's not going to be like that they're going to keep interest rates elevated for an extended period of time to make up for the average inflation right because inflation had run low for so long and then it spiked and then it ran extra hot for extra long for an extended period of time They're going to let those interest rates run high for a while until they get the average inflation down to that 2% target. And since we don't know how to figure out average inflation, it's pretty much arbitrary to the Federal Reserve. Okay, what are you guys talking about? Uh, So, how many of you cowards will still file taxes? Um, Yeah, I imagine most. (laughs) You are wrong about what? All right. Hey Crystal, that's my sister. How you doing? All right. Like the video? Yes, please. Anybody who is coming into the video, please hit that like button. The um, YouTube algorithm will grab a hold of the video, start sending it out there for more people to join in. And anytime we can get more people in the comment section, the better. All right. Hey All Nighter, good to see you here. I'm here. We can start now. Yes, absolutely. We can start now that All Nighter is here. I. Powell mentioned housing correction today, what exactly do you... Oh, Jay Powell, okay. Mentioned housing correction today, what exactly do you think he meant? To be honest with you, I've been at work all day, so I haven't had a really good chance to go and listen or read up on most of the stuff that is coming out from the Federal Reserve right now. So I really don't have an opinion yet on the you know statement that he had made. I'll read up a little bit on that tomorrow, maybe do a video on that one, so... Sorry, I don't have a little bit more for you, but like I said, I just got off of work, so. <laughs> um, they are also dropping 95 billion a month with quantitative tightening. Also, it is going to be better for the Fed because they will have more room to decline, the rates when the recession starts. Yeah, and that—that's really what I think it was all about. Was trying to. That's why they did it so aggressively. They weren't trying to fight inflation. They wanted that inflation scenario. They wanted it hot. They wanted it heavy so they could do that aggressive Fed lifting of the Fed funds rate. If they tried to do it slow, if they tried to be like, you know, methodical about it, saying, well, maybe we'll be dependent on. They would never, ever even remotely get the Fed funds level to that 5%. They, would, they wouldn't they would get there. They would, you know, who knows how far they would be able to get it if they tried to do the quarter point, like the, the what were they calling it, um, autopilot, where they were doing 20 uh quarter percentage point every quarter and it was just like really slow and the markets hated it so by the time they got it up to like what was it around three percent or something three and a half percent they had to reverse course because the markets were just too pissed and the economy was downturning and horrible way of going about it the fed putting the brakes and i don't i shouldn't say a horrible way of going about it not like i know it's like it's not me to decide what the fed should be doing it's just more of how i should react And how I should deal with my life according to what I feel the Fed is going to do. All right. The Fed putting the brakes on for a longer amount of time will cause a greater amount of corporate default and layoffs for an extended period of time. It will. And that's like part of their plan. They really want those layoffs. They... The Federal Reserve... And I understand that a lot of people will probably discredit the Phillips curve and all that other stuff that goes along with it. The Federal Reserve... Doesn't okay, so you might be able to like say hey, I'm not using these particular indicators anymore because they've been discredited The Federal Reserve still uses them and they're the ones who are in charge of the monetary policy So it's not up to us to decide what it is. That is the accurate way of looking at things We have to look at things the way the Fed does and then try to decide whether or not the Federal Reserve is going to behave in a particular fashion So then we can conduct ourselves now the Federal Reserve looks at wages They look at wages as the inflation indicator. There's a lot of them out there, but wages is one of them. And if wages continue to go up, this is input costs going into all production and services and everything else that's out there, which causes prices to go up. If they could cap those wages, they can cap the input costs coming from those wages going into the products and services. And in fact, they can actually reverse a lot of it too By getting people to take lower wages, they aren't able to spend as much into the economy without spending as much into the economy. There's less transactions and less transactions is money velocity and money velocity slows down. Then the economy slows down and so does the inflation that goes along with it. The only way to get products to move again through the system is to drop prices and that's the deflationary scenario that people are worried about as the problem with lower wages spirals the less transactions that are out there. Alright, um, anyone else notice home prices are double what they were in 2019? Yeah, even the price of the home that I purchased, which is less... I mean, I purchased it less than a year ago. I mean, it's going on a year next month. Wow, it's been a year already. Can you believe that, guys? Alright, um, but even since then, the price of the home on Zillow Estimate... Now, I know, of course, a lot of people will argue with that one. But it's the one that the indicator I was using is up almost $100,000 from last year. Like the damn house was going up like eight nine, ten thousand dollars a month. It was just ridiculous from the time that I bought it last year. so even if you took a hundred thousand dollars off the price tag of this house or the Zillow estimate of this house, it would be back to what I paid for it last year. It's just ridiculous. These house prices are way had moved way, way too much, especially in areas like where I'm living. I mean, it it would only make sense that we would see a dramatic drop in pricing, and a dramatic drop would take us back to what the prices were just last year. So it's not even like a crashing of prices. It's just a returning to normal, and that's the way I kind of see it out there. Time to flip houses. Uh, If this keeps going, the 3-disc is going to turn into a 2-disc. How could that happen? No way, man. It'll always be a 3-disc player. All right, glad you got some equity for a margin. Yeah, I mean, I am too. I mean, they made me put a bunch of money down on it because I had that damn foreclosure within the last five years of purchasing this this house. Like, I thought that foreclosure was older than that, but apparently it wasn't. So anyway, they're like, nope, you don't get the typical good time, you know, easy mortgages, you have to come up with 10,000 or not 10,000, a hell of a lot more than 10,000. You have to come up with 10% down on my house and that was like everything I had. Um, So yeah, um, it's nice to have a little bit of equity in the house and if it does happen to have a significant downturn, I won't go underwater. Well, I hope I won't go underwater like I did on my previous home because then you're stuck. You can't even sell the house for what you owe on it and when you can't make the payments, it drains everything out of you and then you end up like with a lost decade like I did. All right, our place went up 10000 and that, I think, it was designed to get more taxes. Hmm. Are we actually in a long-term deflationary scenario? I've heard Yui talk about this before, but this is still looking to be true. But is this still looking to be true? I think so. I think that we are headed for a serious deflationary scenario, especially if people decide that they're going to get out of the dollar, especially if they decide that they're done with it, if foreign nations and corporations and individuals around the world finally had it with the dollar and they said, that's it, I'm done, I'm not doing deals in dollars anymore, you're going to watch the dollar skyrocket. That's And that's hard for a lot of people to wrap their head around because they think, okay, I don't want the dollar anymore, then just get rid of it and there's going to be a big pile of dollars sitting out there, but that's not the way it goes down. The dollar is in existence and so vast quantities out there and the federal reserve had nothing to even do with it they didn't even print up this money it was entities around the world who have written contracts in dollars they're doing dollars and then those contracts get used as if they're dollars there's transactions being taken that are taking place around the world right now in dollars being dealt with With contracts that were not even associated with the Federal Reserve or the United States government. Think about that. There's transactions taking place with dollars that didn't have anything to do with the United States. When those things come due, we have no idea on how many dollars we need in order to clear out all that debt that's out there that is due in dollars. When those people, when those things start getting paid and start, you know, getting out of the system and people are clearing out all that debt, the shrinking of dollars in the system is going to be so painful for people. We're experiencing it right now and people can hardly take it. Could you imagine if it was on a huge scale where people actually wanted to get out of the dollar? I mean, it would be unreal painful. You would see the dollar just skyrocket as everybody would be trying to scramble to get as many as they could so they could get out of those damn debts. And I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening like any kind of quick fashion. You know, like people are like, seem to think like the dollar is going to die here in the next year or two. Like, I don't see that. Like I see the dollar getting stronger over the next year or two, incredibly strong over the next year or two. Now, will it be a viable currency, you know, 10, 20 years from now? I have no idea about that. The dollar will eventually fail. I mean, all fiat currencies eventually fail. But the path to get there to that failure is not going to be what I think a lot of people are anticipating. They're thinking like this hyperinflation scenario where all of a sudden there's just all these dollars in the system and everybody just like, you know, has like wheelbarrows full of money and stuff like that. That's not the way I see the dollar dying. I see it going the other way where people are trying to get out of the dollar and try not to use it and try and get out of those contracts and the demand for dollars skyrocket. And then the pain that people feel from that is gonna be so dramatic they'll move into another type of currency. Right? That's how I see it going down. I don't think that the I don't think that the Federal Reserve being a private banking institution with men who are the like I mean the smartest economists in the entire world, right? Are they gonna make decisions that destroy themselves? Does that, does that sound like something that they would do? Or are they going to make decisions that get them to hold on to that power for as long as possible? That's really what I think is going to happen. Like, you know, they are not going to make decisions to say, Oh, crap, we haven't really messed it up. I guess we're out of business. We're all done. What are we going to do now? No, that's not the way they're going to go down with it. Like, they are not going to give up that power that easy. Most people work for the first two weeks of the month just to have a roof over their head. Yeah. um, In my case, it would be a little bit more than that for my 9-to-5 job part of things. Um, It would be more than that. I mean, I guess if you combine my wife's income, then it would be like the first two weeks. But, you know. Okay. Uh, Do you think freight shipping prices will drop to pre-pandemic levels? ooh all the way to pre-pandemic levels um yeah but they won't remain there they won't be like an average like pre-pandemic it's going to be higher than the pre-pandemic but i could see where like you know you'd probably find for a short time you know as the you know the rates drop they're gonna you know they're gonna blow past that you know that um you know, like you got your average price, right? So you, you end up way over average. As it returns to media to that mean average, it's going to undershoot that, right? So it blows past that, and then it will find its way back up again. So there's going to be a short time there where people are like, "Wow, you know, freight freight's cheaper than it was prior to the, you know, prior to the pandemic." But it's only going to be very short lived as it's doing its, you know, correction. What is it like, you know, just finding that average, that oversupply, undersupply kind of thing. Um, shipping is a little different from what I understand. They will actually like, if they start having room for like, say there's plenty of room on the ship to, to send freight across, right? Well, they'll have like other ships that are available. They'll shut those other ships down to restrict the amount of available space out there to keep the prices from going any further down. So they will, you know, manipulate say the available space to prevent the prices from going down any further, but then again, competition starts to kick in. So as the prices start to move in or move up, then the people who provide you know space or provide freight will start you know providing that available space again for it. So anyway, uh, everybody should go to Vegas and put it all on red. Uh, you are right; it's all loans and debt, not real money on most, and it's earmarked for years down the road. Yeah. And that's like, you know, because a lot of people like when they say, well, what about like, you know, Weimar Republic or look about Zimbabwe or look at all these places that have these hyperinflation scenarios. Those weren't those weren't world reserve currencies. Right? They were trying to escape their debts to other people. They, they, that wasn't a world reserve currency. You didn't have the world demanding their dollars. Right, they're their currency, so it's not even the same type of scenario. I mean, it, it could. It, I shouldn't say that it couldn't happen. Like it could happen. There's no reason why it couldn't happen. But I don't see that happening. Like that's not the scenario that I I find c- taking place. Like a lot of people said that that's what's going to take place. Like that's what they believe. That the Federal Reserve money printer go bird dollar go bye bye all this other stuff. I mean, you saw all the talk about that. I didn't see it that way. I mean, I saw the money printing happening and I thought, well, okay, what's different from this, from quantitative easing one, two, and three that didn't produce the inflationary scenario that the federal reserve was anticipating and that everybody said was going to happen. Like, I mean, I was, I was right there with them. Quantitative easing was going to cause a hyperinflation scenario. I was dumping all my money into silver. I watched silver in 2011 run up to 50 bucks an ounce. I thought, man, this is it. This is what's happening, you know? And then it all went the other way. And so when quantitative easing kicked in again and everybody says, this is going to be a hyperinflation scenario, I thought, no, I don't think so. right. I'm not going to fall for it again. You know, I could. I'm just saying I'm not going to believe it right off just because money printer go burr. Yes. More accumulation for crypto. All right. All right. Sunny. Crack beats is correct. King dollar. All right. How long does it take usually for gold to pick up steam when the market crashes? See, that's going to be another thing. Like, you know, I am, I am a firm believer in the precious metals. I mean, if you follow my channel long enough, you know that I love gold and silver. I am a big fan of, of having those in your possession, like physical gold and silver in your possession. But I look at it for the insurance policy. I don't look at it as a as an inflationary hedge, right? Now, I know a lot of people will argue with me on that one. They'll shake their heads, they'll roll their eyes, they'll say whatever. That's fine. Like, throughout history, you could probably say that. Since I started buying silver in 2008, 7, 8, I have never, ever, once, ever had it protect me from inflation. Not once. In fact, I've never found a time that I could actually profit from it except for a very short time during 2011, right? There was, there was a short time in there that I could have sold all my silver and profited from it. Now I still look at silver as a very useful thing to buy, not because I'm going to try and protect my wealth, which it would do, right? I mean, that's what it does, but I'm not necessarily trying to protect my wealth or try to increase my wealth. I'm using it as an insurance policy. In a sense, it does protect my wealth, but it's not necessarily to protect all my wealth. It's so that I have something outside of that third party, away from the banking system, away from anybody out there who says, I'm sorry, but the phone doesn't ring and the app doesn't work and we're not answering our door. Like I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. If you have physical gold and silver in your possession, that's the only reason why I have it protecting myself from inflation. It didn't work. Right, I I tried. I mean, I want to say that it does, right? I I mean, intuitively, it's it seems like it should, but it's never done that for me, not once. Okay, so I don't use it as an as a protection from inflation. Now, I could see a scenario in which that the dollar and gold could could rise together. Like, I mean, literally, you could see the dollar grow stronger and gold go up in price you know, according to the dollar, which is something that you typically would not see happen. But when we have such fear taking place around the globe, like with the dollar, right? People don't like the dollar. They want to get out of the dollar. The BRICS nations are trying to set up a a system to get away from the dollar. So people don't like the dollar. Well, what do you like? Do you like the BRICS? Do you like Russia and China? You want to go and get in some of their currency? That's good stuff, right? I mean, who the hell would want to be in that thing? So if you don't like the dollar, where are you going to go? There's no place to go except for gold. So if we have that real scenario where people are saying, okay, that's it, I'm done, I'm out of the dollar, where are you gonna go? You're gonna go to gold. So as the dollar starts to lose its appeal and people are trying to get out of it and the dollar strengthens because you're gonna have less contracts out there providing those dollars to be used as currency and the demand for dollars as they pay off this debt is gonna destroy dollars, the dollar is going to grow stronger. People hate the dollar, they love gold, they're gonna get into gold at the same time, the dollar and the gold will go rise together. I mean, it is a very likely scenario that it could happen. I just saw a super chat. What's going on there? Right on Chen MD 411 Thank you so much for the $2. What do you think will be capitulation event? Um, I think the sovereign corporate debt crisis is going to grow so intense That the powers that be around the world, the central banks around the world, will have to come up with a new system in order to try and bail everything out. And that's where I think the digital currencies will really start to come into play. So I think it's going to be a sovereign corporate debt crisis. I don't think it'll necessarily be a single event, like a boom, 9-11 kind of thing. I think it's going to be like this long kind of grind into it. And then it gets to a point where, like, hey, we can't seem to get this stuff out of it. You know, we're in bad shape. We're going to need to start tokenizing everything and pull everything into a digital currency and start pulling cash out of the system. And that way we can take interest rates into negative territory and stimulate the economy again. Like, it's going to be something similar to that. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but... All right. The physical gold is in Russia and China, but the price is kidnapped in London and U.S. Yeah. Well, that's something you have to think about. Like, you know, that's very true. Like China and Russia are loaded up on gold. Why? Because they know. Right. They know that, you know, this exact scenario is going to happen. Don't think that, you know, that these two nations don't want dollars right they want to get out of the dollar because they want a system that they don't have this manipulation from the united states you know holding it over their head and stuff like they would love to get out of that but they know that there's really no other place to be except for the dollar and gold that's why they get into it right dollars a pain in the acid you know united states hurts them with it and then gold is like like real honest money you can't do anything like you, no country can control that you know I mean, they can control the price, but they can't control the possession and the, the ownership and the real value of it. All right. Uh, not unless you're in a real fundamental projects, buddy. Everyone has their own opinion. But, hey, who know everything could go to zero? I see ple- plebs will remain plebs. Plebs. How do you say plebs? <laughs> All right. Boggles my mind why anyone would listen to this guy is why you lost your country. Hey, thanks, Eric, man. I totally appreciate you here listening to me and joining in on the conversation. All right, what is, what is real? You live in that car? Nope, I don't live in this car, but I paid $500 for this car and I can afford to buy any car I want, but I choose to drive a $500 car so that I can afford drive any car that I want that I don't want well I do want it but I don't buy it Uh, can't imagine a gas station accepting gold for payment unless you're greeted with shotguns and get a very unfair trade okay Um, you're right they're not going to accept gold that's a very good that's very very right. you can't you can't go down to the gas station can't spend your crypto you can't spend gold Right. But that's not necessarily true. Like if you're willing to take on a third party risk to it, then you could deposit your gold into institutions that will hand you a debit card. And as you run your debit card, yes, you are spending dollars with the store, but your account is withdrawing gold or crypto. Right. So there is ways that you can store your wealth in gold, but to me that's that's not the point of gold and silver. The gold and silver is an insurance policy to be away from that third party. Right. But if you like the idea of holding gold and spending gold, you can do it that way. I mean, it's not exactly spending gold, but it's almost as convenient as or it, it adds to the conveniency of it. So you don't have to go and sell your gold and then make the transaction. You know what I mean? So there is ways. Yeah. What are building material prices going to look like in 2023? That is difficult, man. I mean, because you got to see what's going to happen with like with interest rates and stuff by that time. I mean, nobody can predict like where where things are going to be, like as far as monetary policies and stuff like that goes. What I'm watching as far as lumber prices go is that we saw a lot of milk curtailments taking place during the summer. Now, if you had watched like the interview that I did with Keda from Madison Lumber Report, she kind of went into that in some pretty good detail, talking about like the inventory levels and stuff. Um, I see like right now I see those inventory levels just starting to tighten up like I mean just barely beginning and one of the indicators was the two by six um, outdoor wood that I sell the decking wood the pressure treated without the incisor marks you know basically used for decking now this is towards the end of summer right so you know most of the summer projects are coming to an end this decking material came up in short supply. I can't get it, right? I can get eight footers, I can get 16 footers, but 10s, 12s, all the other other lengths, I couldn't get them, right? He said he was out of stock on it. That's something that I hadn't experienced very much, except for right as the pandemic was kicking in, those mills had shut down and the inventory got wiped out by all the stimulus checks. That was the only other time that I'd really seen a significant uh, inventory shortage where I couldn't get those boards. Right now, it's happening again, but it was very short-lived. I guess I'm going to be able to get those deck boards in next week, so they do have them ready. They're just not able to ship out to me yet. Um, so that's kind of like a little indicator to me that says the inventory levels have tightened up. So when you have inventory levels tightening up, and you haven't, you know, situations like that where I actually see the the inventory, like the the lack of it, you're going to start finding prices going back up. Now I said this. This is the prediction that I made. Back in Miami, you know, when I was at the Rebel Capitalist, uh, when we were up on stage talking about it, I made this exact prediction. I said that lumber prices were going to stay low throughout the summer, but by the end of summer, you would see the inventory levels tighten up and that the prices would start to rise so we're going to go into winter and we're going to see lumber future prices moving back up and again this is during a time that most people would not anticipate it you wouldn't anticipate lumber prices dropping into the summer and you wouldn't necessarily anticipate them moving up into the winter but that's what we're going to experience and um as far as 2023 goes i don't know like let's get a little closer to that and um and we'll we'll see what what happens there i'll i'll make my predictions then but as of right now that's where i see it like we're going to see lumber prices moving and they're not going to move up dramatically like because it's going to be winter time it's going to be slow slow part of the season so we'll see like i'm going to do like a futures prediction of say like 800 per thousand 850 i mean could it run up to a thousand sure i mean it could get up higher but i'm going to guess around 850 right that's going to be my prediction And then as far as the lows, we're in it. This is the lows, 450 per thousand. Um, From this point on, like the new normal, once we do find that equilibrium, which is probably going to take a couple of years, you're probably going to be looking at 650 per thousand being a new normal, 500 to 650 per thousand. Um, You know, 500 on the low, 800 on the high, 650 in the middle, somewhere in there. Anyway, that's the lumber update video. Um, what do you think of my plan to buy a house with silver at the peak of the silver market and bottom of the housing crash in the next few years? Well, I think if you, I mean, if you got a strategy like that going, I say stick to your strategy. No, I mean, and be confident with it. Know what you're doing. Don't just guess. Just say, I'm going to take a guess and a shot in the dark and hope this works. I mean, be logical with your decisions on the house that you're picking in the, in the, you know, the timing of your sell and your silver, especially if you have physical and you're not doing like, you know, ETF trades where you can like, you know, say, do some day trading or something like that. So if you've got like a bulk of silver and you're looking to sell that, man, be tight, tight, be vigilant on that market so that you can time it best. And I mean, I personally probably wouldn't try to time the market on a single sell. I, I'm a dollar cost average kind of guy. So even when it comes to selling something off, I would probably dollar cost average that one as well. Like, you know, you start reaching that number that you like, start selling little pieces of it off, you know, and if it goes up, sell a little bit more, if it goes up, sell a little bit more, and then you can get like your average sell off going that way. But, um, I think that's a good idea. I mean, there, there should come a time in the future where silver starts to really move up in price. I mean, you think about it, we are less than 50% of the all time high of $50. There is so much room for silver to move. I mean, if you want to invest in something, silver should be it. There's very little downside risk. I'm not an investor in silver, right? I save in silver, it's my insurance policy. But I mean, shit, you look out there and you see so many things that have downside risk to them, especially like things like real estate. And you, know, you look at silver, silver has very little downside risk, you know. So I have a lot of confidence dumping money into silver. Sell jars of pee. Ew. Good Lord, man. All right. Oregon is rated one of the worst states to be in during a recession. Lucky us, yeah, I can believe that. What would you like to see happen in the state to improve that ranking? Um I don't know, what's the worst part about it? Is it the jobs loss? Is it the cost of living? I mean what's the what why is it ranking so bad here? To be honest, I see a lot of, um, I mean, I don't want to put it all on like the liberal nation or whatever, but bleeding hearts have really done a number to this place. And, you know, even, even some of like the bleeding hearts are starting to get fed up with some of the, you know, situations that are taking place here. I personally, I love Oregon. I love being here. I love the Pacific Northwest. It's a beautiful area. The people are really nice. I've, you know, I call this place home. But um, as far as, like, why it's ranking so low during a recession, I don't know. Maybe I need to live in another state to try and understand why it would be so much better to be someplace other than Oregon. But um, I don't know. I mean, I would guess it's probably because of some of the massive liberal behaviors that we have around here and not allowing people to fail properly and then be able to have a position in which that they could actually rise again like they it's so difficult on everything right it's difficult to get off the streets it's difficult to make it it's difficult to pay rent it's difficult to get good wages you know nothing is easy everything is hard now, I'm not saying that you can move to an area where everything is easy, but there was a time when we lived in this town, like when I graduated high school, all my buddies had regular regular jobs. Like, you know, we worked at restaurants and lumberyards and did stuff like that. We could afford apartments. We could afford to live. That can't happen anymore. What happened here? Why is that the case, right? So regular nine-to-five jobs can, can't cut it in this area anymore. And... You know it's just a sad state to be in so yeah a lot of people have to go to find easier places to be all right wow 745 of you up in here hey go hit the like button there's only 255 likes right now it's 700 of you up in here hitting that like button we'll definitely get a lot more people up in here and commenting all right uh let's see here born in dallas raised in westport and partied in Seaside. Oregon rules. Yeah, Seaside's a lot of fun during the summer. You get a lot of people out there. And uh, everybody's having a good time. When do you predict contractor pricing will start to drop? When do you think contractor pricing will start to drop? Like as far as like how much it costs to build a house? Probably not going to see a whole lot of that. I mean... You know, I I think about it like you might see a little bit as people are, you know, maybe trying to I just don't see how contractor pricing is going to drop right now. Like, I mean, maybe on spec homes, stuff that they're trying to move so that they can just at least get out from underneath to get the money, get the cash flow coming in. But there's a lack of permit issuance right now, and there is a slowdown in starts that is going to create a gap in production very much like what's take had taken place in lumber, what's going to take place in all like the inventory for like target and Walmart, that gap in production for homes, new homes is going to leave a depleted inventory at some point. Now I know that's kind of hard to see right now because all this inventory is constantly building up inside of the market, but at some point that's going to stop and the prices are going to stop falling. Right. And when that happens, Right, you're probably going to have a lot of inventory on the market and not a lot of builders eager to build into that. So that's not going to leave a lot of new construction happening and that's the gap in production that I'm talking about. Once that inventory starts to clear out, the Building homes is going to start becoming more popular again, right? As you're able to either predict that the prices are going to continue to go up, or know that as le- at least that you're not going to end up selling the house for less than what you had thought because you know home prices continue to fall. So I just that's kind of what I see happening right now is that you know that that gap in production that's going to take place that's going to leave a depleted inventory at some point in the future. Yeah, you know? but. Until then you're gonna see prices drop and then we will find that happen how far and how much it's gonna be difficult to say I don't know Um, Inflation and dropping demand will make corporations and people stop wasting money on stupid things It is a good idea to get into marketing Yeah, I can see that. I mean during the recession they you know, it's basically called trimming the fat you get rid of all the excess you know all the dead weight the people who weren't you know performing you know they get laid off the production that isn't profitable it stops all the things that were lagging and dragging get cut down to the leanest it could possibly be and then from that point on you start to rebuild so ue maybe do a collab with some single men like myself we are the exact same age but i've seen a huge turnaround in the male female dynamics in a tra- drastic fashion in the social media online dating area. Yeah, um it's it, I really should because it's quite an interesting topic, especially one like, you know, it's easy for me to relate like, you know, my perspective to eco ec, to macroeconomics from a working man's point of view because I have a job, I have a 9 to 5 job and then studying economics, I can relate these two. But when it comes to being single, like I've been with my wife since I was 18 years old, like I've never been single, not in my entire life. So I don't even like, like I don't even know, like how would that look, right? Now my brother, he is single and he's been single his whole life. He's a little older than me, and he and he really enjoys. Well, I don't know if he's still enjoying it, but you know, for most of his life, he seemed to really enjoy that single life. So I do have that perspective coming from him, anyway. But you're right, like I don't really necessarily have a good understanding of what it's like to have that single life. To be like a single man in this day and age trying to, say, be in the dating arena or just trying to make it as an individual and trying to deal with society and all the crap that they're putting down on men. It's like, it's really difficult. I mean, I watch these new movies and stuff like that and it just drives me crazy to see like you know, to see, like, I mean, you know, I explained this the other day in the video, you know, and I don't know how we, we should move back into interest rates, but when I was a kid, all movies were pretty much the same way, right? You know, you had like this superhero guy, you know, you had like the prize, which was usually a woman who needed to be saved and that was the prize for doing it. And, you know, she was real thankful and he got beat up along the way. And, you know, that was like how movies went. Like, but that's not the way they go now. Like you can't have this man being like, you know, working his ass off trying to save a woman. That's like, oh, can't have that. That's not the prize. Surpri- that's not a prize. You can't have her as a prize. That's a sick way of looking at things, you know? And I'm like, no, that's the way like history has done it, right? You know, that's what men do. Like they go and they battle and then they provide for a woman. That's like their goal. But somehow that's a whole change now and that's not the way it's supposed to be. So I don't know. I'm still trying to figure all that out. <laughs> All right. Um, Thanks for the streams. I work for a hedge fund in New York City, and it's been a rough market for most of the traders these days. Well, thank you very much, Kurt, for being here. I really appreciate that. Uh, That what has worked? Oh, he must be talking all just talking to somebody. I guess none of us understand how fiat really works. No. And that is so true. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize how fiat works. It's still, there's still people like, I mean, I have conversations with people trying to explain to them that there's that gold doesn't back the currency. Like a lot of people still think that there's gold backing to our currency. And you know, trying to explain that to him like, no, it's just it's it's not it's just it's all based off of debt, and that if all the debts were paid, the government debts, student loan debts, credit card debts, house loan debts all those all those debts were gone, the dollar would cease to exist and then 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 their mind's like really blown like they have like they can't even concept it either after that. and they're like, never mind, I'm just gonna go back to believing that gold backs the dollar. it's easier. And that's literally what people do like they like I can't figure it out, never mind. And so they don't even try. And um, it's probably best that they don't. I mean, I guess, you know, that they shouldn't because somebody was actually mentioned in a comment the other day saying, you know, just like Henry Ford, if the people understood the banking system, there would be revolution by morning. You know, I think it's better that people like us understand it and we can take advantage of the of the situation, you know, make the Federal Reserve our our tool. Like, I mean, I I don't know how else to describe it. Like, people, like, want to point the finger at the Fed and say they're the reason for all our problems. And I look at the Federal Reserve and say, how can I, you know, benefit from their decisions and from their policy makings? Yeah. All right. Uh, Nope, just loves each of us a good man. I don't know who the steward is talking to, but cool. Love the chat. Thanks. Um...